by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Good morning, Passion Church. My name is Nicholas Mitchell, and I'm excited to be here this morning with you guys. Uh, Our lead pastor, Guy Sheffield, isn't here today, and he asked me to speak. And uh, wouldn't you know, he couldn't have picked a more inconvenient time to ask me to preach on a Sunday morning. I'm a high school teacher, and he asked me to preach the very first week of school when the students come back. On top of that, I found some mold in my house in the process of cleaning the mold out. I got sick. So was sick for two weeks, going back to work, working 16-hour days. How many of you guys ever feel like, man, right when... Right when somebody's asking me to go a little bit further in my faith, right when I feel like I'm supposed to be doing a little bit more from God, there's always a million and one excuses that come up and try to prevent me from doing it. So I'm just here to stand here before you guys this morning. I am not a superstar Christian. I am nothing special. I'm just a man that realizes God's power is made great in my weaknesses. In my weakness, his strength is made perfect. I know my shortcomings. I know my failures. I even know my outright sins at some times. And I know that I need God to get me through it. So let's pray, church. Jesus, thank you so much for loving all of us, for having grace and mercy upon all of us, and for choosing to have a real individual relationship with every single human being on the planet Earth, Lord. And we are so thankful that you would choose us to be called your sons and to be called your daughters. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys know Jesus is a people person. He created you because he wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you, and you mean the world to him. As a matter of fact, he knew you before he even created the world. If you would turn with me to John chapter 17, verse 20 through 24 reads as follows. This is Jesus praying for the disciples before he is betrayed and on trial and crucified and died and raised again to live forever. In verse 20 of chapter 17, it says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. So this prayer, Jesus is praying for all believers of all time. That's what this verse literally means. But also, every promise, every scripture written in the word of God applies to you and applies to me as well. Okay, we are not cessationists. That means we don't believe that some of this stuff in the Bible was for back then and it's not for today. Jesus gave all of this, his entire word, as instruction and guidance for our lives today. Every single piece of it, even the bits that we think are weird and we don't agree with today, they're still there for you and for me. Verse 21 says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are once. This is the son praying to the father, saying these things. As you are in me, father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So Jesus is praying for all of us, Passion Church, to have the same unity with each other that the father has with the son. Then the world will believe that God sent the son. 
So if there's disunity in the church, the world is not going to believe that Jesus is God. Let me say that again. Jesus is God. We are Trinitarians. That means we believe in one true God in three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? That is the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are all unified so much that they are one. And God wants all of us to be unified so that we would be proclaiming the same message of truth and love to the entire world around us, so that we would have the same godly, loving, joyful attitude at all times to all people in the world. That way they would know that we are one. It's like the song we just sang. Sing with me how great is our God, then all will see how great is our God. It doesn't say Chad will sing how great is our God and then the whole world will see how great our God is. We need everybody singing the same song together in unity, in harmony. That way everybody else will see how great the one true God is. See, if only one of the people in this church are singing how great God is and somebody else is singing how great the men's fist grizzlies are, then there's disunity, right? We all need to be singing the same message together. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. You might say, hey, I got nothing in common with the person sitting next to me. Well, that's just simply not true. We all have the glory of Christ inside of us so we can be united. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Jesus wants all of us to spend an eternity forever and ever and ever, hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of more than that years with him in heaven, in paradise forever. He wants us to be there with him. But we have to be unified. We have to all have God's Holy Spirit in us and be working together and be living out the way that he told us to live. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18 through 22 reads, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? They were working. They were on the job site, and Jesus said, leave work and come follow me. How many of us have ever said, hey, I would come to church, but I'm working on Sunday morning. I would come to life group, but I'm working on Wednesday night. I would help this person that just called me and asked me to help them, but I'm on my way to work right now, and I don't have time. Nothing is more important than following Christ and being his disciple. There's a million and one excuses we all have, but we have to choose 
to put God first and make that the most important thing in our life. And it's a choice. Whatever is important to you is what you are going to spend your time on. Verse 21, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So not only were these guys working, they were having family time too. They worked with their dad. They sacrificed time with their own father and with their own family to go and follow Jesus. And Peter had a wife. Peter walked away. He didn't divorce his wife. He was still married. But Peter sacrificed having intimate alone time with his wife to go and follow Christ. They did it immediately. They immediately followed Jesus. One time I had a student that loved being on her cell phone. Big surprise, a teenager on her cell phone. And I would tell her every single day, 20 times, 30 times, put your phone away, let's get started in class. Put your phone away, let's get started in class. Put your phone away, let's get started in class. And somebody, trying to give me advice, who is not a Christian, said, delayed disobe- or a delayed obedience is still obedience. They're like, hey, you might have had to talk to this kid 20 minutes to get them to act right, but they were still obedient to you in the end. That person was flat out wrong. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If you tell me to take the trash out and it's Tuesday and I don't take the trash out till Friday, the whole house stinks and there's trash all over the kitchen floor because we just kept piling it in there and piling it in there and piling it in there. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So when God gives us command, when God tells us to do something, we need to immediately Listen to him and follow him. If you tell your kid to do something, you expect them to do it right away. Well, we're God's kids. If he tells us to do something, we need to do it right away. Stay in the book of Matthew and go to chapter 28, verse 19. This is uh, referred to as the great suggestion. This is something that Jesus just said And all of his believers uh, have the option to, to follow this or not. It's whatever you feel like doing in verse 19. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age, if you feel like it and if you got time in your schedule. It wasn't optional. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. But doesn't it feel like we all treat it like a suggestion? Doesn't it feel like, hey, I will go witness to somebody when I'm comfortable and I want to do it and I've set aside the time to do so. Or I will go disciple somebody and help them in their faith and train them up and get them closer to God when it works for me and when, I feel, when it's a person that I got a common interest with them and I like them and they're nice to me, so I'll help them get closer to God. See, Jesus didn't make it a suggestion. He made it a commandment. He told us to go and do it. And he didn't say just the people you like. He said all nations. He said everybody. Tell everybody the good news. Make disciples everywhere. Baptize everybody. It's not optional. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, 
Afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. See, Jesus has called a whole, whole lot of people. It says many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you to live for him and follow him unashamedly. But you still get to make the choice. You still get to make the decision on whether or not you are going to do it. These 12 men chose to leave their life behind, their jobs behind, their families behind, and follow Jesus every single day and night. It was like the extreme, right? Has Jesus ever just showed up to you and told you to do that? Maybe. Maybe he has for a season of your life. Maybe he told you to go spend all day today witnessing to people at Walmart or doing something. But on the whole, Jesus has not normally called any of us, that, of us to that radical extreme. Or has he? Are we not supposed to share his love with everybody all the time in any environment? He might not have asked us to leave our family. He might not have asked us to leave our job. But he wants us to live for him in our family, with our family, in our job. During our job, Jesus wants us to follow him the same way his apostles followed him 24-7. Now, this might not look like selling everything you own. It might not look like selling a job and getting a new job. But God has placed you in a specific environment where only you can reach the people around you. Nobody else will ever have the opportunity to reach some of these specific people in your life. And not just to witness to them, but to disciple them, to grow them up in the faith. Not just to tell them about Jesus one time, but to continue to do so over and over and over until it sticks and until they follow God and do the same thing. In Titus chapter 2, verse 4. says, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Do we have any older women in here? Okay, I didn't want to, yeah. Woo, dodge the bullet. See, we, we like to blame stuff on young people, right? Like, oh, young people aren't acting right. Young people, oh, we didn't, we would have never got away with that. When I was in school, my parents would have never put up with that. We put it on the young people, right? And then some, some people are smart enough, they're like, well, it's not the kids' fault, it's their parents' fault, right? If their parents were raising them and taking care of them and treating the kids the right way, then the kids wouldn't be acting that way. But that's not what this scripture says. It says it's the older women's job to train the younger women how to love their husbands and their children. So that means the place where society is right now it's not the parents' fault. It's our fault. Are we not the older women and the fathers of the faith? Are we not those that are more mature and experienced that are supposed to be living for Jesus, showing other people how to live for Jesus? So if you see somebody with kids that aren't acting right, maybe it was your job to teach them how to be a mother, even if you weren't related to them. 
See, in Passion Church, I'm about to pick on the men too, don't worry. In Passion Church, we have this really cool avenue that we use to disciple others called life groups. Okay, every week we get together, we hang out in people's homes or here at the church or at a restaurant or a coffee shop, and we just form relationships and we make friendships there and we read the word together and we pray together and we share each other's burdens. But the same way that delayed obedience is disobedience, partial obedience is disobedience. See, if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. A murderer is the same as an adulterer. So if you just say, hey, I love Jesus. I come to church every Sunday. I read my Bible. I pray. I even witness to people in public. I tell people at my job about Christ. But I'm not actively discipling five people, and I don't go to a passion life group. You're being disobedient to God. You're being disobedient to God if you are only partially listening to him. Or maybe you go to life groups every week. Maybe you come to Sunday morning service every week. Maybe you read your Bible every day, but you don't take time alone to pray. And you don't pray and say, God, God, show me somebody that I can share your love with today. You're being disobedient. Just as as disobedient as somebody that I'm talking about, they're a perfect Christian. They do everything right. They just happen to lie every once in a while. They've broken that one commandment, which means they've broken all of the commandments. Jesus didn't just call us to be pretty good. He said, be, well, in Leviticus 11.45, be holy as I am holy. The Father said that. Yahweh said that. But they are one God and in the same. So these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So it is the people that have been living for God the longest that are supposed to be showing the other people how they are supposed to be living for God. And not just in spiritual stuff, but practical stuff. How am I supposed to raise my family and treat my family? All right, ladies, let's pick on the men. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I don't want to get beat up after church. We got to keep it even. It says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So maybe all these young men that are living selfish and out doing their old thing, whatever pleases them, whatever makes them happy, however they feel like living in the world, maybe it's not their fault. You know, maybe they had an absentee father. How many families do we know where the parents never, ever married, or maybe they married and they got divorced? Maybe the dad just simply isn't around at all. Well, not only do we have absentee fathers in the world, we have absentee spiritual fathers. There are men that have been living for God for a long time, but they are not raising up these younger men in the ways of the faith. We have spiritual absentee fathers. They are supposed to be discipling these young men in the church, these young men in the body of Christ, and showing them how to live. But they are not doing it. They're superstar Christians. They're doing everything else. They're coming to church. They're living for Jesus. They're praying. They're reading their word. But they have not taken these young men in the faith under their wings 
and show them how to be fathers. Show them how to be husbands. Show them how to be Christians. Show them how to be disciples. So we need some older women and some older men. We need some mothers and we need some fathers to raise up the next generation. They might be related to you. They might not be related to you. But it is our responsibility as the body of Christ to show new believers how to live. And like I said, one of the avenues we use, the main avenue we use here at Passion Church is life groups, okay? But life groups isn't, don't, don't think from hearing this message, hey, if, well, if I just go to life group this semester, then that means that starting in, in the end of August, that means that, uh, okay, well, well, now I'm a disciple. Now I'm discipling people. Now I'm doing right. No, that's just where it begins, okay? Life groups is a place for discipleship to begin, did Jesus just meet with his 12 disciples once a week for an hour? He said, come and follow me for an hour and I'll see you next week, right? Jesus didn't say that. Discipleship is lifelong. And from the moment that you started following Christ, you had the opportunity to get other people to start following Christ. We see examples of this in the Bible. When Jesus called one apostle, he immediately ran and got his friend or got his brother and said, hey, I found the Messiah. Come follow him. All right, so it is our job to have 24-7 discipleship. And God will show you people already in your life or people that may come into your life this very week that you are supposed to be spending time with. You need people more mature than you, pouring into you, mentoring to you, discipling you, ministering to you. And you need younger people in the faith that you are also going to be helping. There's a few things that discipleship requires. Let's look in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. So discipleship requires faithfulness to God's teachings. That means we have to be obedient to all of his commands. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not a works-based faith, okay? We are saved by grace through faith alone. Jesus Christ saved us. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. But now that he's given us this free gift, and if you're a believer, you're a born-again child of God, and you've accepted this free gift and this love that Jesus has offered to you, there are now certain things that you are supposed to do. You were born into your earthly family for free, right? Your mom and your dad had you. You became their baby. You became their son, their daughter for free. It just happened, okay? But then once you were born into that family, your mom and your dad had cert hopefully had certain rules that you were supposed to follow. They had certain things that you were supposed to do. So Jesus adopted us into his family for free. But now that we are part of his family, we are all supposed to have this unity working together in harmony and following his commands and following his laws. This is not optional. If you call yourself a Christian, you are to live like Jesus and for Jesus every single day, being faithful to his commandments. The next thing discipleship requires is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to to pass 
them on to others. So we all come to church on Sunday morning and we hear Pastor Guy relay God's truths to us. But we are supposed to spread those truths to others. Discipleship means there's somebody pouring into you and there's somebody that you are pouring into. And every single person in this room is qualified to do that. You know something about God just from spending the last 10 minutes with me in this room this morning that a non-believer does not know. You know something about Jesus' love that people that have never heard of the name Jesus does not know. So you can start discipling a sinner today. It is our responsibility to pass on these truths to everyone else. That is discipleship. And you might say, hey, you know, I live for Jesus. I've been doing this a long time. My whole life I've been in the church every time the doors was open. And I'm, I'm just so busy. I got all these excuses. I don't need to be in a life group this one semester. I can do it next semester. No, we need you. We need you. Even if you're not the leader of the group, we need you there pouring into the younger people of that group. I'm not Jesus. I'm not supposed to be sitting in a room with 12 other people and discipling them. I should have other people in my living room during a life group that are helping disciple the other people there. Third thing that discipleship requires is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. You guys remember Pastor Guy? I know we haven't seen him in like seven days, right? He's not here this morning, but you guys still remember him, right? He taught us the Word of God every single Sunday morning, right? For years and years, he stood up here and taught. He's still here. He's still with the church. Don't misunderstand me, right? He teaches us the Word of God every single week. Think of all the good that comes from his life, right? Doesn't he do a lot of good things? Doesn't he love Jesus? Doesn't he love people? Hasn't he helped every single person in this room? And follow the example of their faith. So we see, hey, Pastor Guy is just a normal guy, right? He just came to this church, got ministered to, found a new life for his marriage, for his wife and for his children, and began to come here and began to serve God and to follow his God. And now look at him. He followed the teachings of his pastor. And now it's all of our jobs to follow his teachings, follow his example that are coming directly from the word of God. Think of all that good that's come from his life. Don't you guys want some pastor guy goodness in your life? Right? Doesn't it seem that he just always has the right wisdom at the right time? That he's always loved by people. Anytime he comes in the room, people want to shake his hand and give him a hug. That he's always helping people. And joyful. Don't you guys want some of that in your life? We got to follow his example of his faith. Discipleship requires us to follow the example of the people discipling us. So if Pastor Guy is doing something, we should be trying to do it. If Pastor Guy is praying every day, we should be praying every day. If Pastor Guy is praying on a Tuesday night right here in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock, we should be here in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock on Tuesday night praying with him. If Pastor Guy says, hey, discipleship is biblical, it's in the Bible, Jesus did it, Jesus told us to do it, and the way we're going to do it in Passion Church is through life groups, then we should be discipling people through life groups and every single other day of our lives. Amen? Am I lying? 
All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Because it's so easy to see, oh yeah, but we have the best pastor, pastor guy. He's so great at what he does. He's so excellent with it. I'm just glad that I get to be there and and, and be a small part of that because I tithe and, and I give my offering and, and I pray for him. But I don't have to actually go do the stuff he does. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophet, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Are you God's person? I'm God's person. That's all of us, right? To do his work, to do God's work, and build up the church, the body of Christ. So it's Pastor Guy's job to get all of us ready to go and do God's work. It's not Pastor Guy's job to preach, for us, preach to us and us say, oh, well, that makes me feel good. That sounds good. And then go on about our normal everyday life. No, we are supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. And I have proof that we're already doing it. How? The ministry is happening today and Pastor Guy's not here, right? The lights are on, the doors unlocked, the camera's on. We're here doing it. We're here following Pastor Guy's example, and we're living for God, and we're loving people. But I just want to encourage us and push us to the next level. We might be living for God 99.9% of the time, but what is that one more thing that we can do? What is that one more command that we can begin to follow? Jesus has a methodology for discipleship, and here on August 17th and August 24th, there's going to be a training Uh, for life group leaders. And every single one of you are invited to come and attend the training. Even if you don't want to lead a life group this time, you just come and learn and see what it's all about and see uh, what happens in our life groups on on a leadership level. Then that's August 17th and 24th. Uh, That's like, we have like a 30-page document that we give to all of our life group leaders that we use to train them. And I'm just going to share with you guys one teeny tiny short paragraph that comes from that life group leader document, which is Jesus's methodology for discipleship, and it has four parts. Share, connect, minister, and disciple. So Jesus shares his life with people, right? He gave us that example when he was here on earth. He shared his life with people. He brought people close to them, told the apostles to follow him, live them. And when he shared his life with them, he also shared the good news with them. All right, so first he shared his life with them, and then through that avenue, he was able to share the good news of his salvation with them. Next, Jesus connected with people, okay? So when Jesus was able to connect with them one-on-one, the only way to the Father is through the Son, right? So then Jesus connected them through God and connected them to other believers. Jesus didn't just disciple one person. He had all sorts of followers around him. So Jesus connected with people, connected the people to God, and connected the people to other Christians. They just weren't called Christians at the time, right? Next, Jesus ministered. Jesus would minister to people, and he would also create opportunities for them to minister to other people. So Jesus was always ministering to the disciple, answering their questions, helping them, but he created opportunities for them to minister. He told them to go out in the towns and preach and heal people and cast out demons. And Jesus also discipled others. Not only did he disciple others, he told the people that he discipled to start discipling others. Okay, so this is Jesus's methodology to share, connect, minister, and disciple. So let me just break down a practical example. Uh, I had this friend 
He's only really been my friend for about a year. His name's Dylan. And there was actually a ministry event that some people wanted me to go to. And I said, no, I can't go there because I'm supposed to go over here to this Christmas party, right? Um, so I, I chose not to go to church service because I felt like I was supposed to go to a Christmas party. So I go to this Christmas party. I'm hanging out with these four young men there. And one of them is Dylan. And that was the first time me and him ever hung out. We had seen each other around town at the gym, but we had never really had a conversation. So we both had a mutual friend, and we hang out at this party. And then we end up becoming friends. So I start sharing time with Dylan. We work out a few times together. We grab lunch a few times together, right? I'm sharing my life with him, and I begin to share the gospel. Now, you guys know a lot of times you share the gospel with people, and they do not receive it right away, okay? Dylan was no different. He knew I was a Jesus freak from the first day he met me. I told him about Jesus. He did not receive the message. As a matter of fact, every single week for two months, I said, hey, come to Passion Church this morning. Come to Passion Church this morning. Come to Passion Church this morning. And he never came. Well, if you connect with people, then what did I say Jesus did? After he connected with people, he connected them to the Father and to other Christians. So me and Dylan had this connection, right? We connected over weightlifting and, and different things like that. Well, now I'm trying to connect him to Jesus. So I ask him every week for two months, hey, come to church with me. He never came. Well, one day there's this revival that happened called the Asbury Revival in Kentucky, and I called Dylan, I said, hey, we're driving four hours away to Kentucky for a church service. You want to come? He said, yeah, I'll come. Wouldn't drive five minutes down the road to come to Passion Church, but was willing to drive all the way to Kentucky for a church service. And like I, I said, I'm like, you heard me say, like, it's a church service, right? Like, you sure you want to come? He said, yeah, I'll come, I'll come. So me, Josiah, and, and, and Josh, and, and Dylan, we get in the car, and we drive up to Kentucky, right? And, and we're hanging out, we're having fun. And we get there, and I probably should have prepped him a little bit about what happened at a revival before we got there, but I didn't. We get to this college campus. There's just seas of people, seas of cars everywhere. It's, it's like a several-hour-long process just to get to the parking lot to get inside the church service. They got people have called in from work. The entire town, every church there is volunteering their church vans to drive people to the college campus to be a part of this revival that broke out where people are just just 24-7 just praising God, worshiping God. And so we get there and we see people just doing very Christian things that are in the Bible that we just don't see every day. People are just outside for no reason, spinning around, dancing and worshiping Jesus and, and going crazy, praying for people, right? And Dylan's looking at me, he's like, what, what should I expect? What's going on? And so I started explaining to him some of the things that are going to be happening at this revival. So about every 45 minutes to an hour, because this church service is going 24-7 for a couple weeks, so about every hour, somebody gets on the microphone and offers every person in the room the opportunity to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and probably about the second or third time that this happened, I looked at Dylan, I'm like, like, what's going on? What are you thinking? And he said, man, I felt like I was supposed to stand up but I didn't stand up, right? And so I, I got to talk with him right there, and I got to pray with him. And the, the minister uh, used a, a, a story of Jesus being in the garden, and he, he was talking about empty your cup. So like empty everything in your life, all the good stuff in your life, all the bad stuff in your life. Empty your cup and give it to God and, and invite Jesus to fill your cup instead, right? So Dylan said he's like, I empty my cup, right? He stood up for salvation, and he accepted Christ into his heart 
at the Asbury Revival. So me and him had a connection. We had a friendship. And then I was able to not only connect him with God, but connect him to other Christians. He came to church. He came to life group. We had two other young men, Josiah and Josh, in the car with us, right? He came around some of my friends' groups, right? Got connected with Wes. All these different people he's now connected with. So I now get to minister to Dylan. I give him the 21-day challenge. I say, read one chapter from the book of John every day for the next 21 days, right? And so he's doing it. I'm ministering to him. I'm praying to him. I'm helping him in life. And I create opportunities for him to minister to other people, right? He brings his girlfriend to church. He brings his girlfriend. I'm pretty sure he might have led a life group for us. I don't want to lie on the pulpit, but I'm pretty sure he led one of Passion Church's life group for the young adult life group. He led the Bible study. You might say, oh, Nicholas, was he qualified? I already told you, everybody in here is qualified. You are all qualified to start discipling people and mentoring people and raise them up in the faith. You know something about God that sinners on the street do not know about God. So I have now been discipling Dylan for a year. Even before he was saved, I was discipling. And now he is at the stage where it's time for him to start discipling others. That would have been way more impactful if I could have, like, stared him down when I said that, but he wasn't able to make it this morning. That's okay. Let's keep going. So does that make sense? Jesus' methodology for discipleship. Share, connect, minister, and disciple. So that's just a sneak preview of what our life group leaders learn in the training and how they lead you guys through discipleship in the life groups. If that sounded really good to you, you got something out of that, I'd encourage you to come to that life group leadership training on August 17th and 24th. Right, uh, more details to follow the exact time is going to be in the evenings. All right, let's check out Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, remember, we already said we need to follow all of God's commands as Christians, right? So we know what happened in the book of Acts. Jesus ascended to heaven, sent down the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, and the church just starts growing. People are ministering everywhere, witnessing everywhere, discipling everybody. Miracles are happening. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. Well, how did it happen? Well, number one, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, or in New King James Version, to the doctrine, right? So to the Bible, basically, to what we learn on Sunday morning, what we learn when we read in the Bible. But they didn't just read their Bible. They didn't just do what the Bible says and follow the commands. They also fellowshiped. So they spent time together. When was the last time you hung out with a church member, right? When was the last time you, you, you spent time and formed a new friendship with another believer. And number three, and to sharing in meals. All right? When's the last time you went out to lunch with somebody after church? Or any time other than that throughout the week. Right? Including the Lord's Supper, number four, and to prayer. Are we devoted to prayer? Are we devoted to spending time with other Christians, eating with other Christians, reading the word, obeying the word? In verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. 
Why did the apostles perform many miraculous signs and wonders? Why were the Christians in this deep sense of awe? Because they were doing those things that we just read in verse 42. Wouldn't you guys like some miracles in your life? Wouldn't you like some signs and wonders in your life? This is how it's going to happen. You say, man, I've been coming to church. I've been praying. I've been reading my word. Have you been having other believers over to your house to eat all the time? It says they were doing it every day. Have you been hanging out with other believers? Who in here thinks they're strong, like physically? Like, we got a strong person in the room? You, all right, come on up. Come on up here. Come help me out with something. All right. You think you're strong, right? All right. He look, he, he's got some big arms, right? So uh, I think you might be strong enough to break this toothpick. Maybe. Let's find out. Will you just snap that toothpick in half for me? Just, oh, man, he didn't even need two hands. I never saw that, but here you go. He got a trash can for you right here. Just toss that in the trash. All right, you're strong, but what if, if I make you hold both of these together, two toothpicks, right? Keep them together, snap all at once, one time, clean all the way through, one break. All right, you're fancy. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm even going to let you use two hands this time, all right, because we're going to up the ante. What about like five? Use both your hands, just rip them in half, all right? All right, he's pretty strong. He's doing it. He broke five toothpicks in half. <laughs> now you can get that breakfast out of your teeth, too. All right, this is, I'm not a math teacher, I'm tired of counting. This is about 10 toothpicks. Do you think that all at once, one break all the way through, one mo you think you can break all 10 of these? I think you can do it. Keep them together. Use both your hands. It's okay, because it's going to start getting harder. It looks easy because they're toothpicks. But yeah, okay, you did 10. Let me just get a big old hoo-wee. Not being wasteful? It's okay, these are cheap. All right, so... Here is, that's maybe 20. Use both your hands and just see, can you just do one clean break all the way through, all at once? He did it. This guy is strong. Almost. Almost. One of them. I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't know how many toothpicks these are. I'm not going to be able to bake at home today. Um, dude, that's a lot. How many, how many toothpicks is that? Maybe 30 or 40? 30, 35, 40. 35 toothpicks. All right. Keep them. All together, all at once, one clean break. All at once. It's okay if one or two falls, right? Both hands, just snap them in half one time. That's okay. That one doesn't count. That was the 36th one. All right, he's trying, trying to put some different techniques in there, trying to get it. Are they all in Oh, they're still connected, though. You didn't get them all at once like the first time, right? Good. You broke them, but it took a little more effort, right? You, didn't, you weren't able to do it all in one clean break, like I said. Good job. All right, y'all give it up for John. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. So we need people. We need other people in our life. In, in Genesis, God said he was talking to Adam before he made all the animals for Adam, before he made Eve. He said it's not good for man to be alone. Now, now look, I'm single, right? We, we got a lot of uh, divorced people in here, widowed people, single people, but the word of God still applies to everybody, okay? Whether you're married, whether you're not, because right after God said that to Adam, the very next verse, he didn't create Eve. He created all the animals and allowed Adam to name all the animals, and those people, or those animals still weren't the right partner for him, so then he made Eve. So it's not good for man to be alone. We need people. We need help. Like I told you, Jesus is a people person. See, you are a toothpick, and John is trying to snap you in half, okay? 
And John is life. You guys know life is hard. Life is trying to break you and snap you in half. So if you're by yourself, if you're just one teeny tiny toothpick, life is going to break you. But everybody in here, I'm sure most of us, right, we got a relationship with Jesus. So nobody's truly alone. We all got God with us. Even two, to, and don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not uh, lowering the value of God. Obviously, God is all powerful. Life cannot break him, right? Just bear with me for two more seconds. Two toothpicks broke right in half. I can't tell you guys how many people I know that were Christians that loved God and they still threw their life away. They still went off the edge. Oh, nobody at church talks to me. Nobody at church loves me. I'm done. I'm just going to go do my own thing. I'm not even a Christian anymore, right? They had God. They said they had God. I don't know if they did or not. They got broken half. Well, hopefully, a lot of people got some type of family. You might have a husband or a wife, some parents, some kids. So you, maybe you got about 10 toothpicks with you, 10 people. John still snapped it in half. Life still broke it. Maybe you got two or three really good friends. You got some best friends, you know, 15 toothpicks. John still broke it in half. 20, John still broke it in half. We need the body of Christ around us. We need people pushing us and motivating us and helping us and getting us to that next place where we are supposed to be to bring glory to God through our lives. So you might say, hey, I already got my friends. I'm 99 years old. I've had the same friends for 98 years. Well, we still need more. We still need more people around us. You're supposed to be raising up those younger men. You're supposed to be raising up those younger women. They weren't alive 98 years ago. You need to form a new relationship now. You got people you're supposed to be mentoring and discipling now. We need people in our lives. Jesus commanded it. He commanded us to have relationships with other people. And we're still in Acts chapter 2, verse 44. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. We need to meet together. We need to be together, unified in harmony. In verse 45, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. If God tells you to help somebody financially, you help somebody financially, or you're just as bad as a murderer, right? And again, I'm, I'm, not, trying to, uh, I'm not trying to preach so insanely hard and say that you have to do all these things, but I'm saying that you have to do these things because God told us to do them. It, do, it doesn't call into question your, your salvation or anything like that. Jesus loves you. He has grace and mercy for you. But we are called to a higher stipulation. We have certain things that we are expected to do as children of God. And the main thing is to love God and love other people. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So we are supposed to obey all of God's commandments because we love him. We're supposed to strive for that. Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They were in church every single day, seven days a week, worshiping together. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All right? They shared with each other. They ate in each other's houses daily. 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Don't we all want more people to be saved? Don't we all want our friends and family members and coworkers and acquaintances that we know that aren't following Christ? Don't we want them to follow Christ? This is the blueprint right here. This is how we do it. 
We know every person in this room, yeah, we love Jesus. We serve in the church. We do these things. But we need to have total and complete perfect unity. I'm talking about we need to be one with that person sitting on the same row as us that we don't like. We need to be one with that lady in the church that gossiped about us. We need to be one with that guy this morning that made fun of my white shoes, right? We need to be one with every single person. Only the people in the front get that because they can see my shoes. We need to be one with every single person in the body of Christ. We need to be unified. We need to all have the same Holy Spirit in us and sharing the same gospel message with all the people all around us. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it says, And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. So that means every single day in your house, where you live, in your living room, you should be preaching and teaching others that Jesus is the Messiah. Not just once a week on life groups, every single day. Are your doors open? Do you have the gift, the gift of hospitality to bring other people into your house that you can minister to them? You can love on them? Now, look, it doesn't necessarily just have to mean your house is where are you every single day? Wherever you are every day, you should be preaching and teaching Jesus. Because there's some days I'm only in my house to sleep, right? Wake up in the morning, leave, go to work, doing stuff all day, come back, fall asleep, okay? You probably don't want some people up in there that you're trying to teach and preach to when you're trying to sleep, right? So wherever you are throughout the day, that is where you're supposed to be sharing the good news of Jesus. Let's travel to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. How are we supposed to treat each other? Well, we know we're supposed to love each other. Romans 12 verse 10 tells us that. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So how can the entire body of Christ, Passion Church, all the believers all around the planet Earth that live for Jesus, that serve Jesus, how can we all come to such perfect unity that the rest of the world will believe that God sent Jesus here by us all sharing the same message with our lives and with our words. Well, Romans 12.10 says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Go six verses down, Romans 12.16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. So maybe you're like, hey, I don't want to invite this person from church over to my house. You know, they smell weird. You know, I don't want ordinary people around me. I can only imagine that Kaylee Allen was somewhere this morning leading worship, singing praises, and her dad, Chad, was here singing. I don't know if they were singing the same songs or not, but whether they were or not, they weren't in harmony right? Harmony is when two singers are standing next to each other and they're singing and complimenting each other to send out the same song. So they weren't in harmony today on the Sunday morning worship. So how can we be in harmony with each other if we're not with each other, if we're not around each other? If you come in here on Sunday morning and you have no relationships with anybody in Passion Church, you're not going to see them again till next Sunday. You're not in harmony with them. You're not in unity with them. Now look, 
I'm going to be honest with y'all. I don't have time to be friends with 50 people. It's not going to happen, right? But God is going to make it perfectly clear to you who you are supposed to have relationship with. They're probably already in your life. You probably already have some form of relationship with them. Maybe you can be more intentional with it. You already have a good friendship with them, a relationship with that friend or family member or coworker, and you can push that into that spiritual zone where maybe you haven't taken it as often as you know you should have. Or maybe it's somebody that's just kind of close to you and you would like to get closer to that person. You would like to learn more from them about Christ or you would like to teach more to them about Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, we're going to continue to look at a few more ways of how we are supposed to treat each other. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. All right, well, this verse says, in order for the God of love and peace to be with me, and I I want Jesus with me all day, every day. Part of that says, I got to encourage other Christians. I got to live in harmony with other Christians. I got to live in peace with other Christians. So if I'm not around other Christians, then the God of love and peace isn't with me. I'm just telling you all what the Bible says. We got to be joyful. We got the joy of the Lord. We have to grow in maturity. Jesus doesn't want us to say, oh, I'm saved and now I'm a baby in Christ and I never grow up. Jesus wants us to grow up. We have to encourage other. We have to live in harmony and peace. Remember, these are not suggestions. The word of God is the command on how we are to live our life. And we do these things. We love each other. We love other believers. We disciple them. We allow them to disciple us. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. It doesn't say obey the law of Christ by following all the commands. It doesn't say obey the law of Christ by loving people, which we know we need to follow the commands. We need to love God. We need to love people. It says Share each other's burdens. So who's somebody in the church, who's somebody in your friends or family or sphere of influence that's hurting, that they're going through it, and that you can lift them up, and you can share the burdens with them? You're probably already doing it. There's people in this room that do it for me. When I'm going through problems, they share my burdens. They lift me up. They encourage me. They talk about their past experiences, how they got through it, and they help me. In 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. So how are we supposed to treat other Christians? We're supposed to do good to each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. See, Pastor Guy isn't just supposed to tell us how to love people and how to go do good things. We're supposed to do it for each other. 
We're not supposed to wait for him to say, hey, guys, let's go to this outreach and let's, let's minister to the community. Let's go over here and help this person and give them some food and do some good things. It says we got to motivate each other. We got to encourage each other to love and to do good works. So what's something that you can get some other people in here to help you do? How can you get other people in this room to live for Christ with you? James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So how are we supposed to treat each other? We're supposed to confess our sins to each other. We're supposed to pray for each other. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. How are we supposed to treat Christians? We are supposed to serve one another. And our last verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. I ended on this one because I like to preach really, really hard. And I know that everybody in here is already trying to live for Jesus with your whole heart. I know you're already trying to serve God and serve other people and live in unity with other believers and do all these beautiful, wonderful things in the Word of God and what we've talked about this morning. So if you feel like I've come down really hard on you, I just want to end with this encouragement. So I encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. I know you're already doing it. I know you're already giving 110% and living for God and living to help serve other Christians and let other non-Christians hear the good news and the joy that is in your heart of Jesus Christ, your own Savior. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. What you're already doing, keep doing it. But whatever might have stuck out to you today, Whenever it might have popped into your head, and maybe you were a little mad at me when I said it, you weren't mad at me, that might have meant that the Holy Spirit was convicting your heart. Okay, whatever I said, and you said, hey, all of this, yes, I love Jesus, I'm living for him, but that one verse that Nick just said, like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not the best at that one. Maybe I can, maybe I can do that more often. Maybe I can do a little bit better. That's what I want you to take away from this. What are you not doing to come to perfect unity with the rest of the body of Christ? How are you not serving other believers? How are you not encouraging other believers and following the commands that God has given us in his word? I'll just ask everybody to close your eyes real quick and say, hey, if you're thinking right now, I'm not in unity with Christ. I'm not in unity with these other people in the church because I do not have that relationship with Christ that you've been talking about. I just ask you to put your hand up in the air real quick, and I'm going to pray for you. Just say, hey, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not a Christian, but I want to take that step. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to be a Christian. If that's you, I'd ask you to raise your hand.
Awesome, I see that hand. Thank you. Awesome. Is there anybody else that says, hey, I do not have a relationship with Jesus. I'm, I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. I just ask you to raise your hand. All right, then, as we pray for the one person that is chosen to become a part of God's family today, I would ask every single person uh, in the room to pray with me. But before we do that, I just want to make the truth of God abundantly clear, that Jesus is God and that God loves you. God loves you so much he created you in his image, it says in Genesis 1:27. He showed his great love for you by sending Christ to die for you when you were still a sinner in Romans 5:8. But see, your sins separated you from God, Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. None of us can live up to the perfect standard of Christ. None of us are doing every single thing that I preached about this morning perfectly, not even myself, but I'm trying to get there, and you're trying to get there. And it says in Romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So even though every person in this room, we all deserve to die and burn in hell for the rest of eternity, God loves us so much that he's given us a free gift that we don't have to that we've already accepted. But Jesus rescued us. Jesus rescued us from that sin. So we do not have to die the death that we deserve to die. And it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It is by confessing with your lips, Jesus is Lord, that you are saved. So if you believe the words that just came out of my mouth and you raised your hand this morning, then I have one simple question to you. It's a yes or no question. Will you trust Jesus? If you say, yes, I will trust Jesus. I believe he is God. I believe he loves me. I believe he came on this earth, lived for me, didn't just die and stay dead, but resurrected again on the third day to live forever. Then you have now been adopted into God's family. You have made this choice to live for him forever. So let's pray, church. Everybody, everybody pray with our new brother that just joined our family today. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Lord, I'm not perfect, but I want to live for you. I want to follow you. I want to honor you, and I want to love you every moment for the rest of my life. Thank you for living for me, and thank you for dying for me. And please, Lord, place the right people in my life that will disciple me and that I can disciple them. Give me godly relationships. And in all things, let me put you first. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we're closing, I'll just invite the ministry team to come forward to the altar. And if there's anybody that would like prayer for anything at all, if you'd like to pray to have that increased unity, if you'd like to pray for anything I touched on today, anything I didn't touch on today, these altars are open and we are happy to pray with you. And I would encourage you, think, hey, how can I be unified with the other believers in the body of Christ? What can I do to live in a perfect harmony with the other Christians 
around me. So as Brother Rick is going to give us our announcements and close us in prayer, as he's closing in prayer, I just invite everybody to come forward and to pray. to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.